Welcome to the Lead On Podcast, where we talk about practical issues related to ministry leadership. I'm Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, and it's my pleasure to talk with you each week on this podcast about various aspects of what it means to be a ministry leader, either in your church, uh, in your organization, maybe even in your community. Well, today, I want to talk about the importance of group decision-making, or the importance of having a variety of perspectives on issues and challenges that you may be facing in your organization. My wife likes to jokingly say that she's been a preschool teacher long enough to know that there are at least two viewpoints on every situation, and that she very seldom only listens to the first point of view and makes her decision because she recognizes there's usually a second story or sometimes a third or a fourth are a fifth story that needs to be heard before a decision can be made. Well, that's true about preschoolers, but it's also true about ministry leadership. We lead best when we're able to consider a variety of perspectives on decisions we're making or problems we're trying to solve. And from that plurality of input and from the diversity of perspective, we're, we're able to make much better decisions. You know, it's interesting how people can see a simple act or a simple situation from different perspectives. For example, I was recently reading in John 13, the story of Jesus washing the feet of the disciples. And I was struck by the different perspectives that people had on what was happening in what was really a very simple uh, experience of foot washing. First of all, in John chapter 13, Jesus, it says of Jesus beginning in verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands and that he had come from God and that he was going back to God. So he got up from supper, laid aside his outer clothing, took a towel and tied it around himself. Next, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet. Jesus knew who he was where he had come from, and where he was going. He was completely secure in who he was. And because of that, he could do the unthinkable. He could do this seemingly humiliating act of service that was left for only the lowest of servants. He could wash his disciples' feet. But Peter, who was experiencing this same situation, had a very different perspective. He came to Simon Peter and asked him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I'm doing you don't realize now, but afterward you will understand. You will never wash my feet, Peter said. Jesus replied, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. In other words, get all of me, bathe everything. Peter had an entirely different perspective, one that was somewhat skewed, somewhat superficial, and maybe even somewhat humorous in the situation on what was happening. But then what about the other disciples? Well, you drop down later in the story, and it says this. Jesus uh, gave a, a dip of bread and gave it to Judas, Simon Iscariot's son. After Judas ate the piece of bread, Satan entered him, so Jesus told him, what you're doing, do quickly. None of those reclining at the table knew why he said this to him. Since Judas kept the money bag, some thought Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the festival or that he should give something to the poor. After receiving the piece of bread, he immediately left. 
The disciples had a totally different perspective on what was happening. The foot washing was going on. Peter was talking to Jesus. Judas got this unusual message and was sent out for what purpose? We don't know. Maybe to take care of the poor or to buy something we need. He carries the money, so maybe Jesus sent him on an errand. I'm simply trying to say that even in this simple story of foot washing, there are various perspectives about what's happening and various points of view about what was going on and various understandings and misunderstandings about the situation. This is just an example of what I mean when I say that people see things from different perspectives. You know, when we moved the seminary from Northern California to Southern California, this became apparent in one particular meeting we had as we were trying to solve some of the relocation issues. When we started talking about all of our options, it was proposed that perhaps the seminary might come to Southern California and buy some houses that would be made available to our, uh, our employees as they were relocating down to this area. Now, when that idea was first surfaced, it was surfaced as a possibility to streamline the process, give people an opportunity that would make it easier for them to own a home, and some other reasons. But one of our people in the meeting said, we don't need to do anything like that. He said, because people have such different points of view on where they want to live, how far they're willing to commute, the kind of house they want to have. And then he said, you're going to be surprised at where people live, what they choose, and how they go about making these decisions. Man, was he exactly right. When we moved to Southern California and people started buying condos and townhouses and houses, I was amazed at some of the choices, not because some of them were right and some of them were wrong, but because they were all just very different than my perspective that I brought with me about what we needed to do in Southern California. What I've learned in watching this process unfold over the past several years is that different families have different needs, different people have different expectations, uh, different workers have different uh, uh, commitment levels. All of this plays into where people want to live in relationship to the seminary and in a relationship to their church, in a relationship to the school their children attend, and all these other issues. So I've laid the foundation at the beginning of the podcast this way. People have different perspectives, and we need to have a variety of perspectives in our decision-making process so that we make the very best decisions possible. You know, the Bible amplifies this in some other interesting ways. In the book of Proverbs, the Bible says this, listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. That's Proverbs 19.20. And then Proverbs 15.22, plans fail when there is no counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. You look to examples in the New Testament. You know, Paul usually traveled with a team and often wrote using the pronouns we are us. Uh, not just as a literary device, but really as a statement of collective leadership. And in most cases in the New Testament where apostles or elders are mentioned, they're always mentioned in the plural form. So learning to lead with colleagues, learning to value different perspectives, to seek out contrary opinions, to listen for creative, even off-the-wall ideas— improves our decision-making, and makes it possible for us to lead more effectively. So I want to talk today about some specific ways that leading with this kind of approach 
can improve your organizational decision-making. The first way is this. When you lead with a group and you allow those people in that group to give input, you are going to create more ideas than any one person can produce. So you call together your planning team, or you call together your cabinet, or you call together your staff. When you get those people in the room and you put an idea or a proposal or a problem before them, you're going to get a lot more ideas about how to solve the problem, address the issue, a lot more ideas than you could generate on your own or than any one person can generate on their own. Now, some leaders don't like this process or this part of the process because it seems to be inefficient. It takes time to listen to ideas, especially ones that aren't going to work. And I acknowledge that full on. It's hard sometimes to sit there and listen to ideas that won't work and possibilities that won't get the job done and brainstorming and blue sky thinking that just isn't going anywhere until it does. Until it does. And there's that idea that's put forth that no one else has voiced that causes everyone in the room to kind of look over at the speaker and say, wow, that just might work. Or, wow, where did that come from? That's crazy enough that it just might succeed. Wow, that's an innovative solution that we've never really considered before. So a group of people can obviously create more ideas than any one person. And that kind of group ideation can seem inefficient, be a little bit frustrating to people who want to check boxes and get things done, but actually does lead to some breakthrough kind of decision-making and some breakthrough kind of ideation that gives us some new thoughts about things that we've never had before. Now, here at the seminary, I sometimes will actually intentionally uh, ask some people who I consider the most creative to come together to work on a problem. I know that they're going to come up with ideas that are just not really even going to work and that that's fine, but if I can get them in the same room, they're going to pop out some things that might be astounding in how good they are. I recently did this with a particular situation where we had to hire someone for a new position. And I knew that we had an employee, a very creative employee, who had a lot of experience in the region where we were uh, looking to hire someone. So I sent him an email and said, hey, could you uh, brainstorm this with me or pull together a couple of people that you know in your area and talk about this idea? I need some uh, potential candidates for this particular job. Now, I am not exaggerating this. The next morning, he sent me 10 people that he thought could possibly do the job. I had no one on my list. He generated 10 in just a few hours. As I looked down his list of 10, there were seven of them I immediately crossed off because I thought, I know something about this one, this one, this one, this one, this one, and this one that just won't work. And then there were a couple that were a little bit intriguing. And then there was one name on the list that kind of snapped my head back. And I thought, why didn't I think of that person? Why didn't I think of that person? Man, that's a good idea. 
And so here's an example of when I ask a small group of people who are really good at generating ideas, who have a lot of familiarity with a particular region or a particular kind of work the seminary does, could you generate possibilities of who might could fill this job? They were able to generate a significant list, including one name that was really startling that caused me to think, how could I have missed that one as an exciting possibility to come to Gateway? So the first reason you need different perspectives in decision-making and different perspectives on your leadership team is because they create more ideas than one person can produce. Second, a group like this can also help edit out bad ideas and keep them from going public. Now, this is probably one of the best ways that our leadership team here at Gateway functions, especially the president's cabinet or the executive leadership team. And that is they edit out my bad ideas. Now, I know this will surprise you because you think uh, I make a podcast and all of my ideas must be brilliant. Well, most of them, quite frankly, aren't. I come out with some of the worst ideas imaginable. Cockamamie ideas, crazy ideas, off-the-wall ideas. And sometimes I go into meetings so excited about those ideas that I can't wait to share them because I'm convinced, I'm absolutely convinced that everyone around the room is going to say, wow, Dr. Orge, Mr. President, that's amazing. But to my surprise, but quite frankly, with gratitude, I'm here to report that my team edits out my bad ideas, my harmful ideas, my dumb ideas. Shall I say it? My stupid ideas. Those ideas that if they really were ever implemented would do more harm than good. One of the funniest times this happened here at Gateway was when we were relocating the seminary. One of the things that we had to do was create an entirely new web presence for the new seminary, Gateway. And one of the questions that we had to answer early on was what our new domain name would be. It is today gs.edu, gatewayseminary.edu following the pattern of almost every school in America that has their domain as their abbreviated name with their initials, followed by EDU. Well, I went to the meeting excited about my idea. So I got in the room and I said, hey, today we need to really finalize this uh, this uh, domain name so that we can give that to the people because until we give that to the people that are going to be doing all this work, they can't even get started, but we got to get started because we got to get this done over the next year. So let's get this decided. And everybody around the table is like, yeah, we're with you. Let's get this decided. And I said, I've been thinking about this and working on this and I got it. I want our domain name to be www.thegate.edu. And there was a Leaden silence around the table. Heads kind of dropped like, oh, brother. And I'm saying, what's wrong with you guys? This is awesome. The gate. And think of all the ways we can play off of that. We're the gate to your future. We're, we're the gate to the expansion of God's kingdom. Uh, we're the gate into new learning. The gate.edu. And again, everyone just sat there just looking at me like, oh. And finally, one of the vice presidents said, well, I guess that would be a really good domain name 
if we were a junior high youth group. <laughs> I said, what do you mean? He goes, junior high youth group. That's what that sounds like. And I looked around the table and the other vice presidents were all nodding their head and smiling like, yeah, sorry, Dr. Orge. Sorry, Mr. President, but that's not going to fly. And one of the VPs said, it's gs.edu like every other school in America. I said, no, that's so boring. And I looked back around the table and all the heads were nodding again. It's gs.edu. Well, that day, the gate.edu did not make it out of the meeting. But gs.edu did. And we've been Gateway Seminary or gs.edu ever since. Now, that's just one example that I'm willing to share because that one's kind of funny. I could tell you many other stories which were much more painful for me when I went into meetings with brilliant ideas that I was just sure everyone would be thrilled to hear. And yet, not so much. You want to hear another funny one? I went into another meeting like that one day with an idea. And I said, hey, I think here's what we could do with some of our endowment. And I think we could do this and we could do this and we could do this and we could come out with this. And when I finished, the vice president for business services said, you can't do that. And that made me a little bit angry. And I turned to him and said, don't, don't, don't tell me what I can't do. He said, Mr. President, I apologize for that. That was inappropriate. May I rephrase? I said, certainly. He said, Mr. President, you can do what you just proposed, but you will go to jail. I smiled and said, really? Well, then I don't want to do that. He said, no, sir, you don't, because that's actually illegal. Now, I wasn't intentionally proposing some criminal activity on the seminary's behalf. I just didn't quite understand fully all the financial laws and regulations about something I was proposing. And fortunately, I had an expert seated right to my left who had the courage to call me on it. And while he blurted out his first response, you can't do that. He finally came back and said, okay, let me rephrase. You can do it, but you'll go to jail. And he had my full and undivided attention at that point. This is what I mean when I say that bad ideas get edited out. That's why it's important to have different perspectives, because when you come into a meeting and you're fired up about something, and you're just sure it'll work and you're just excited about taking it forward. You need a team sometimes to tell you that is a bad idea. Third, another good thing that a different perspective will bring is that it can turn good ideas into great ideas. Now, quite honestly, this happens a lot here at Gateway. We get into our meetings and we start talking about a different problem or a situation and somebody will pop up an idea and someone else will say, you know, that's a good idea. But what if we did this in addition? And then eyes start lighting up around the room and we start saying, yeah, now that would really work. So we took a good idea. Hey, that has some, some possibilities, but what if we did this, that turns it into a great idea. Now this can happen various ways. It happened to me recently in a meeting here. I brought up something which I thought was a good idea. But quite frankly, my faith was a little small that day. And my uh, measure of my influence was also a little bit measured that day. And so I brought up this idea, which uh, was a good idea, but it was uh, not a bold idea. It was just a little bit of an advance, uh, taking us down the road a little ways. And when I brought it up, another person in the meeting said, well, that, that's, that's good, but, 
but but what if we did this? And I thought, well, we could never do that. I mean, that's just too bold. That's too much. And I looked around the room and everybody's kind of nodding their head like, no, it's not too bold. And, and it's not too much. We, we, we can get behind that. We, we think we have the support for that. We, we think people will get on board with this. And we walked out of that room that day doing far more than I had anticipated going in because I went in with what I thought was a good idea and it turned out to be a good idea. But the group said, we can go beyond that. We can do this more than you're even imagining. And we think we have the support and the influence and the capacity to do it. Let's do a great idea instead of a good idea. So sometimes, either by adding additional insight or bringing additional influence or by sharing additional information that you didn't have, your group can turn a good idea into a great idea. Well, that's three ways that having different perspectives on a problem or a situation in your leadership group can help you to make a better decision. Let me give you three more. Number four on our list is that group objections are usually the same as what you will hear later from a larger audience. So when you bring up an idea or you're discussing possibilities or you're considering solutions and different people on your leadership team start raising objections, that does not always mean that those objections stymie or stifle or stop the idea from going forward. It may mean that those objections are just the very things you need to have answers for before you go to a larger audience. Again, this often happens here at the seminary. We'll bring up an idea. Uh, we'll generate some even better ideas. We'll finally come up with some solutions, having edited out my bad ideas and gotten us to some things that will actually work. And then someone will say, you know, if we do that, the faculty may have concerns about this perspective. Or if we do that, facilities is going to raise these issues about the project. Or if we do that, this is going to create some changes in our payroll uh, software that we're going to need to address. So as we come up with solutions to problems that turn into good ideas and then even maybe great ideas, there are still objections that may be raised about the go forward plan. Again, that doesn't mean that you can't go forward. It just means that you pay close attention to what's being raised because as people in the room are raising objections, either their own objections or anticipated objections on behalf of the constituencies they represent, you can start taking notes and say, okay, I need to be ready to address that. Okay, I need to be ready to respond to that. Okay, I need to be ready to answer that question. We often do this in preparation for board meetings at Gateway. We'll be working on all the information for a board meeting, and it'll have a series of recommendations or proposals that we're going to bring to the board. And we believe that those are good recommendations and may even need to uh, lead to real progress for the seminary. But we also know that many of those things will have problems associated with them, budgeting problems, staffing problems, uh, political problems, uh, denominational problems, maybe even doctrinal problems. And so we say, okay, these are some issues that are going to be raised. Let's make a list of them. We're surfacing them here. Some of us have these same problems. That means that others will likely raise the same questions. And so we start making a list of how to respond to those questions based on what happens in the smaller group discussion. So, Objections raised in a smaller context by the leaders who are working on a problem often either mirror or represent the objections you're going to receive when you go to a larger audience and can help you to make better decisions by getting prepared 
to address those issues as you go forward. Well, here's a fifth reason that these kind of group decisions are better. They have what I call gravitas. They have weightiness. So that when I step forward and say, I have decided this, it has one level of weight. But if I step forward and say, the executive team has discussed this and worked on it for the past several months, and we've now come to agreement on this issue, and we're recommending that we go forward together. People who are hearing the recommendation say, well, that's not just coming from an individual. That's coming from a group. And it's coming from a group of people who have a lot of different perspectives and a lot of experience. And it's coming from a group that really do uh, represent a lot of different ideas and a lot of different commitments. And so if the group has come to understand this, then it really does have even more weight than if just an individual decided it. Then you take that even to a broader uh, context. When our when I bring forward an idea or the executive team brings forward an idea, but then the board of trustees, 39 people gathering to discuss and debate and consider ideas, they decide something. And we're able to say, the board of trustees has, you, has decided this and has decided this unanimously as the future direction for our school. Then people have even more of a sense of the weightiness of that decision because even more people have had a part in participating in making the final decision. I'm simply saying that group decisions have gravitas so that when a group makes a decision that represents a large number of people in an organization, a constituency, a church, a, a ministry like the seminary, when the group makes the decision and you're able to confidently say the group stands together on this, it gives greater weight to the decision itself. We saw this, of course, uh, during the relocation of the seminary when the first announcement was made and we went into small groups to discuss this. The vice presidents led those small groups and they led those small groups of employees and students who were a part of their natural constituency as supervisors at the seminary. And they knew the particular issues that would be raised in those groups, and they were prepared to answer them. And when people said, are you really for this? They were able to say with all uh, 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 clarity and with all frankness and with all transparency, yes, absolutely, I'm for this. Well, if all of you are for it and all of you have worked on it thoroughly and all of you represent our different constituencies, then we have greater confidence in the decision. And then finally, a group decision can help keep a decision-making process on God's timetable. I know sometimes it's frustrating when you can't get an immediate agreement from your elders or an immediate agreement from your staff, or in my case, an agreement, an immediate agreement from the board. But I have learned after 40 years of doing this that more often than not, the delays caused by good people with transparent motives who are just simply not yet ready to come to a decision or who can't find unity about a decision, I have learned that that is often God's way of delaying the decision for whatever reason suits his purposes. Sometimes he delays the decision because it's evident it's the wrong decision, and if some time goes by, everyone backs away and realizes we shouldn't have done that in the first place. But other times God delays a decision just to get us on his timetable, to get people unified around the decision, or to bring circumstances into alignment so that once the decision is made, it can really go forward in the most effective way possible. So I'm 
understanding that there are sometimes recalcitrant, stubborn, ridiculous people who just won't go along with new ideas. I'm not talking about that. When you have good and godly people who are humbly seeking God's face and praying together and working hard on problems and love and care for each other and want the mission to advance more than their own agenda, when you have that going on and you still don't have unity, go slow. Because that may very well be God's method of slowing you down, either getting you on his timetable or even slowing you to the point where you lose the momentum and decide to go a different direction, making better decisions because you were delayed. Well, today we've talked about different perspectives and how they can aid in organizational decision-making and how they can lead to better decisions being made. I've learned over the years that when I engage a group of people who, again, are loyal to the mission without personal agenda, committed to what we're trying to accomplish, praying and with humility trying to find what God wants our organization or our church to do, when I'm in that context, I've found that the group creates more good ideas than any one person. The group edits out bad ideas and keeps them from doing harm. The group can turn good ideas into great ideas. They can voice objections, which then become strengthening to the decision because they help you understand how to interpret the decision to a broader audience and answer their objections when they come. Group decisions give greater weight to the decision-making process and they help keep us on God's timetable. The Bible speaks that it's wisdom to come together with multiple counselors to make better decisions. Put this into practice this week as you lead on.